Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Rossafari Zoo News. And just to make sure that you're in the right place, I did say Zoo News and not Zoo Nudes. That's something else entirely, and uh, you can find those on my OnlyFans. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And yes, I know I've made the OnlyFans joke before, but you wait. Someday we get desperate enough, and that Rossafari OnlyFans is coming. It'll just be pictures of naked animals at the zoos, though, so, you know, the same thing you get now, but you can pay for it. Speaking of which, if you're interested in helping support the podcast by helping pay for it, you can go to patreon.com slash rossafari and sign up to become a monthly patron. For as little as $3 a month, you can help support the podcast, get some cool stuff in exchange, and also get yourself a pretty nifty title. Yeah, that's right. I named them all after animals. You'll notice a theme here, but then I'm guessing that you expected that, seeing as how this is my 89th episode and also um, it's a, a zoo and conservation podcast. So, all righty. For those of you who are new to the format, this is Safari Zoo News. Uh, maybe some of you have found this now after listening to some cool interview episodes, but uh, I'm now bringing you a weekly podcast where I share the news from the world of zoos, aquariums, and conservation. And the best part is you get to help. If you see any interesting news stories pertaining to zoos, conservation, all that good stuff, go ahead and email those to me. I can be reached at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Or you can message them to me at Rossafari on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, make sure you're following along there because uh, I put up awesome animal pictures from zoos and they are a lot of fun and we have a really good time over there. So uh, come join the Rossafari social media community. All right. So with that said, I think it is time for Zoo News. Zoo News. It's the news that's about zoos. Zoo News. We're going to start this week in Tucson, Arizona, where the Reed Park Zoo has been through it, y'all. So back in 2017, the Reed Park Zoo decided that they wanted to expand and so got voter approval and city council approval to expand their zoo to the west. This was all part of the master planning, which you've heard a lot about different zoos doing on this podcast. And as you know, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. By October of 2018, the plans were finalized and everything was looking great. Unfortunately, many voters, including the voters who voted yes to this expansion, hadn't actually done their research. They didn't realize that the plan, which will create a reptile house, aviary, and the Pathway to Asia exhibit, which will also help with Malayan tiger conservation efforts in the wild, was going to expand and take away a popular duck pond, though there are many in the park, and also some free communal land. 
With construction poised to start earlier this year, many people in Tucson freaked out and called for an immediate halt to the plans. The main group of citizens involved formed a nonprofit called Save the Heart of Reed Park, which was to advocate against zoo expansion into the park. And despite the fact that this had all been approved, the city council decided to fold and put a halt on the project and then reopen discussion and debate about whether or not the zoo should be allowed to expand, and if so, how. Y'all, this has been going on for months now. And I am shocked at the depths of pettiness that people have gone to to try to stop this problem. But I have to give some props, too, because a lot of people really did work to come together to find an equitable solution for everyone. As a matter of fact, even the Save the Heart of Reed Park group submitted a plan that allowed for some expansion, which I thought was pretty cool of them. In total... Eight new plans were proposed, everything from not allowing the zoo to expand at all to a bunch of different options that would keep the duck pond alive and help the zoo expand in other ways. These concepts were labeled concepts A through G, with the eighth one being called G minor. After examining all of these plans, city council actually voted in favor, six to one, to move ahead with the expansion, though not the original expansion. Instead, they came up with a plan of their own combining Plan D and Plan G that is not expected to cost the zoo much extra money at all and is also going to save a lot of the green space and the duck ponds that people are worried about. In the end, it looks like something known as hard space, which is already paved over or, you know, built on land in other ways, is going to be given to the zoo in order to expand and be able to keep growing and educating people, while the citizens of Tucson will not lose some of their free green spaces or the amazing duck pond that they love to go to. At the end of the day, I'm just glad that an equitable solution seems to have been agreed upon by the zoo and the city council. The new plan is now heading to the desk of Mayor Regina Romero, who is not expected to stand in the way. Hopefully, Reed Park can start to build their pathway to Asia soon. And hey, what a great reminder that when we're voting on things, maybe we should read what we're voting on. Just a thought. And now for an update on a story from last week. You may remember from last week's Zoo News that the Audubon Nature Institute, which includes the Audubon Zoo and the Aquarium of the Americas in New Orleans, Louisiana, had decided to host an event called Blue at the Zoo. This was a five-day event honoring the New Orleans Police Department and offering discounts for people who wore blue to the zoo or aquarium during that time. You may also remember that the zoo community, uh, including many of the keepers on staff, were not happy about this decision and lashed out publicly. Well, I am pleased to announce that the Audubon Nature Institute listened, heard, and learned. They have canceled Blue at the Zoo. The statement from the Institute read, Audubon Nature Institute heard feedback regarding the event from members of our community and from persons outside of our community who feel this event could be unintentionally divisive rather than inclusive. Though that was never the intent, Audubon Nature Institute made the decision to cancel the event. New Orleans Police Department Superintendent Sean Ferguson said, 
and I quote, what we've learned is that the individuals who are saying negative things who triggered this with Audubon are people who are not even from New Orleans, so we have to be mindful of that. Well, that's a lie, as I personally know some of the keepers who were complaining publicly and they are from New Orleans and work at the zoo. Um, Also, the actual Audubon statement said that it was people from their community as well as outsiders who said this was a bad idea. Um, So not a great read from the police department, but great job Audubon reading the room and making the right decision. And speaking of inclusivity, we're going to bring you some news again from the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium. Shocker, right? But hey, these guys are constantly making news because they do amazing work. In an effort to be more inclusive, the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium and the Wilds, which is their awesome safari park that is about an hour away from the zoo in uh, Zanesville, Ohio, have decided to start a new membership program. This is called Family Access Membership. It is a discounted membership category for families who live in Ohio and qualify for government assistance. And y'all, this is not some half-assed measure here, okay? These are real memberships. The membership includes two primary named members plus either dependent children or grandchildren up to age 21. The membership includes free admission, parking, access to member-only events, digital magazine, discounts on educational classes, camp offerings, gift shop discount, discount on Zumbizi Bay tickets, literally all of the stuff that I get as a member of the Columbus Zoo. Not surprisingly, I am all about access to zoos for everyone. And Columbus is an amazing facility, but it ain't cheap either. This new lower membership cost is going to open up the Columbus Zoo to a whole new world of people. And that means it's also going to introduce those people to animals they've never seen before, to scientific thinking in a way that they've never encountered before. I am so proud of the Columbus Zoo, and to be a part of this community. Great work, y'all. And speaking of zoos that I love, Zoo Atlanta is killing the game again. As you all know, the keeper and vet staffs at zoos try to train their animals to voluntarily participate in their own health care. Well, for the first time ever, a 17-year-old Bornean orangutan named Satu has trained to do a voluntary EKG, which is an electrocardiogram, using a cardiomobile finger EKG. That's right, y'all. They set up this small little EKG machine that can read from the fingers, and he reaches out and puts two fingers on it, and boom, voluntary EKG for a Bornean orangutan. This is really exciting for a lot of reasons, mainly because, you know, anytime you can get medical information from an animal, especially without having to use anesthesia, you're not only helping to increase their quality of life, but also expanding the amount of information we have about the species, which can be used at other zoos and also in wild conservation efforts. Now that Satu has been successfully trained for this procedure, I wouldn't be shocked to see other great apes at Zoo Atlanta and beyond trained in the same way. Y'all, I'm beginning to think that zoos are actually pretty cool places. And you know, y'all, zoos aren't just awesome places for the people that visit or the animals that live inside of them. Sometimes, animals that don't live at the zoos can get some peace and comfort there as well. That's the case with Juliet. 
The Last Wild Macaw in Rio de Janeiro. For many, many years, Rio de Janeiro was a city that was filled with blue and yellow macaws. However, there is only one left in the wild there, and her name is Juliet. Every morning for the last two-plus decades, Juliet has visited the zoo in Rio, where she goes to the macaw enclosure and, through the fence, engages in grooming behavior and just kind of chilling out and hanging out with the birds. You see, macaws are a social species, and being the last one of her kind in the wild cannot be easy for Juliet. However, in the exhibit at Rio, she is able to find friends. She gets her social time, she bonds, and then she leaves, and every morning she comes back. While the zoo staff does not believe it would be ethical to take Juliet out of the wild and throw her into the exhibit, they do keep an eye on her, making sure that she looks healthy and comfortable. And as a cool aside to the story, Juliet may have some friends in the wild soon. The zoo recently launched Project Refauna to reintroduce species into protected areas with an eye on rebuilding ecosystems in the area. The zoo will be breeding blue and yellow macaws with the plan to release some 20 chicks in an area that Juliet has been spotted in in the wild. Pretty soon, Juliet may have some non-zoo friends to hang out with in Rio de Janeiro. And speaking of animals that are hoped to be reintroduced into the wild, congratulations to the Akron Zoo for having some red wolf puppies. Now, I know that y'all have listened to my episode at Akron with Kristen Scaglione, but if you haven't yet, go check it out. We not only talk about her bears and coyotes, but we talk about the red wolves that they have at the zoo and the fact that they have to be handled by keepers differently because red wolves are an incredibly endangered species in North America and reintroduction programs are happening now. The cubs at the zoo represent yet another step forward for the Red Wolf Reintroduction Program and are incredibly cute. You should check out the Akron Zoo Instagram to see pictures. I asked Kristen how she felt about the new cubs, and she said, There are absolutely no words. There has been a lot of crying, lol. And then she specified that they are happy tears. Weirdly, when I asked if I could come cuddle them, she just made a joke and brushed me off. Strange, right? But all joking aside, red wolf conservation is incredibly important, y'all, and I am so excited for Akron and these new pups. Now, many of you know that the saga of the red wolf has played out over many episodes of Ross Safari because I've interviewed a lot of people about their conservation and talked to many zoos that are involved in this program. And so now we have even more good news on that front. Not only does the Akron Zoo have puppies, but also the last legal battle, at least for now, uh, to stop the reintroduction of red wolves has been won by the conservation side. So I am happy to tell you all that there have been four new red wolves introduced into the wild in North Carolina. Wolves from the Endangered Wolf Center, the Wolf Conservation Center, and Wolf Haven International have been released into the wild to help expand this population. Y'all, this is just the beginning. We are going to bring this species back from the brink of extinction. I am so excited about the work being done by all of the zoos that are involved. Truly an amazing example of how zoos and conservation are the same thing and really do overlap in a major way. 
But with that said, we're now done with the zoo news and move on to... Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. Welp, I ended the last section with good news for wolves in North Carolina, so now we move on to bad news for wolves in Idaho. Last week, the Idaho legislature passed a devastating bill that is estimated would lead to the death of 90% of the current wolf population in the state. This is a population that has been growing for 25 years since the wolf was reintroduced into Yellowstone in 1995. Despite being called a hunting bill, this is way more damaging than even just allowing normal wolf hunting. Details of the bill are that they allow hunters to do aerial hunting, meaning hunting from the sky, something that even many hunters say makes things too easy and it becomes too simple to kill too many animals too quickly when you do it. The right to use snares and traps on public property, despite the fact that these will not only hurt wolves, but will also hurt all other wildlife and can even affect dogs that stumble upon them. And now, hunters are also allowed to enter wolf dens and slaughter any pups that they might find there. Great. This legislation has been pushed for hard by ranchers and hunters in Idaho. And look, it's important to acknowledge that wolf-livestock conflict is real and is a problem. However, it's not nearly the problem that the legislature is making it out to be. Republican Senator Mark Harris is quoted as saying that wolves are destroying livestock and destroying wildlife. However, my friends at Animalia did some research, and they said that the elk population in Idaho today is just over 120,000, which is the same exact level it was at before wolves were reintroduced in the 90s. Elk are especially important in this discussion because many hunters in Idaho pride themselves on taking down elk and are worried that wolves will get rid of the population so that they won't be able to hunt them. Yeah, let that one process for a moment. Now, as far as livestock, well, in 2020, there were 102 cattle and sheep that were killed by wolves in Idaho. That is out of 2.8 million cattle and sheep. In other words, 0.000036% of the population. And by the way, laws in the state allow the ranchers to be reimbursed for any animal death due to wolves. How ridiculous is this legislation? Well, even the Idaho Sportsman Group, which is one of the major hunting associations in Idaho, has called the bill senseless. And yet, it has passed. Y'all, I wish I had an answer as to how we can help fix this issue, but I don't. I've looked at it from many different angles, I've done some research on my own, and I cannot find one scientific reason that this bill should exist. This is disgusting. If any of you out there hear anything that any one of us can do to help these wolves in Idaho, please reach out to me at Ross Safari on Instagram and Facebook or email me at RossSafariPod and I will spread the word as wide as I can. Sadly, that's all I can do at this point. But on a happier note, a recent study has shown that some of our very smart friends at the podcast are in fact very smart. 
You may remember from the recent Giraffe Conservation Fund episode or recent Rasafari Zoo news that there has been a discussion about whether there is one species and nine subspecies of giraffes or, in fact, four species of giraffe. If you look back at what GCF has said in the past, they believed there to be only one species, but recently changed that after analyzing DNA that they have collected. And now it is confirmed. A paper published in Current Biology this week confirms that there are indeed four species of giraffe in Africa. Why does this matter? Welp, when they were one species, giraffe numbers were already dwindling too quickly. When you realize that it's actually four different species sharing that total population, you realize that these four species are actually even more endangered than we realized. That silent extinction just got a whole lot louder, y'all. Hopefully, this finding and confirmation of the finding will make people realize that giraffes are even in more trouble than we thought. As such, hopefully more funds will go to their conservation and governments in Africa will be willing to take even more drastic steps to save this incredible, iconic species. And now for some happy news out of New York City. The city council passed legislation this week that is made to dramatically limit single-use plastic straws, stirrers, and other single-use plastic items. Keep in mind that New York City has already eliminated the use of single-use plastic bags, so this is another incredible step in the battle against single-use plastics and all of the environmental damage that they cause. When it came to writing the bill, many experts got together to make sure that it was written well, including members of WCS, the Wildlife Conservation Society, which is the group that oversees all of the zoos and aquarium in New York. After the legislation passed, the WCS released a statement which reads, in part... This groundbreaking legislation will help raise awareness of plastic pollution currently harming marine wildlife around the world while thoughtfully addressing the needs of people with disabilities. Editors note they threw that in because people with disabilities can still request a single-use plastic straw, which I can understand there is a need for that. Anyways, back to the statement. WCS scientists working from the Arctic Ocean to Fiji see these impacts every day. Scientific studies demonstrate that single-use plastics are entering New Yorkers' waters and threatening wildlife and ultimately human health. Eventually, these plastics break down into smaller pieces, known as microplastics, which wildlife and potentially humans ingest. Awesome, awesome work done by everyone involved with this bill, and I am so glad that the WCS is one of the groups involved. Yay, zoos. And now for a story about one of my favorite turtle species, the diamondback terrapin. A few volunteer conservationists who work hard to help diamondback terrapins and other turtles cross busy roads when they are born recently realized something. These turtles are small enough to fall into storm drains. And boy, howdy, do they. Because they realized this, they went ahead and started searching storm drains for the terrapins, and they found a bunch. In total, 826 diamondback terrapin hatchlings were scooped out of storm drains in Margate, Ventnor, and Ocean City, New Jersey. 
Once rescued, these terrapins were enrolled in Stockton University's Head Start program, where staff care for and rehabilitate the turtles for a year before placing them back into the wild when they are large enough to avoid most predators and basic dangers that kill so many baby turtles. And look at that, y'all. I made it through an entire story about turtles living in sewers without mentioning the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Heroes in a half shell. Turtle. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm I'm sorry. Okay, and now it's time for. In other news. So this one's fun, y'all. As you know, many, many colleges have mascots that are animals, and a lot of those animals are actual animals that live at a local zoo or aquarium and then go and visit the team and hang out at the sporting events. We've all seen Lucille the Binturong, or Bearcat, go off to Cincinnati Bearcats games and be adorable. And if you haven't seen that, Google it because she is an amazing mascot. And there are owls like the temple owl, Stella, who is at Elmwood Park Zoo. And they also actually have uh, Reggie, the official mascot of the Philadelphia Eagles that lives there. But Baylor University does it a little differently. They have two bears that are their mascots and they're not part of a zoo They actually live on campus, but don't freak out, y'all. It's cool. It's all good. Judge Joy and Judge Lady, the two American black bears living on campus, can now say that their bear habitat is AZA accredited. In fact, they are the first university facility in the world to earn AZA accreditation for their mascot exhibit. Dan Ash, president and CEO of the AZA, said that the Baylor Bear Habitat is the first university mascot facility to achieve the demanding gold standard AZA accreditation. He went on to say, I've observed dozens of accreditation hearings and was impressed at the broad acclamation from commission members. The Baylor team did their homework and passed with flying colors. We are excited to welcome you to the AZA community. So Baylor University, you want to be on Safari? Let's talk, y'all. But seriously, congrats on taking such great care of your mascots and realizing that there's a right way to do this and making sure that you're doing it. So if you've been listening to Safari for a while, you've definitely heard the story of the giant California condor, an endangered species that was literally extinct in the wild and then rehabilitated by zoos and other conservationists. Welp, they're still a really rare bird, but apparently not if your name is Cinda Mickles. About 15 to 20 California condors have recently started hanging out at her house. Um, This actually got some attention on Twitter recently when Mickles' daughter started posting photos of the issues. These birds have completely trashed the deck. They've ruined her spa cover. They have taken out all of her decorative flags and lawn ornaments. Plants have been destroyed. There's all kinds of scratched up stuff. And you zookeepers will recognize this problem. Y'all, there is poop everywhere. This woman is living a Rasafari poop story. Poop story. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which helps 
keep these birds from going extinct, responded to the Twitter posts and said that the house is actually in the historic condor habitat, but it's okay as long as Mickles tries some hazing of the birds, harmlessly of course, just shouting, clapping, or even spraying some water at them, they should leave and leave her house and her alone. For the sake of what is left of her deck, I hope that Mickles listens to them. And now... Here are your weekly animal holidays. First of all, keep in mind that May, the month, is Be Kind to Animals Month, Chip Your Pet Month, Gardening for Wildlife Month, International Respect for Chickens Month, National Duckling Month, and National Pet Month. And now for your individual days, May 13th is Frog Jumping Day, May 14th is Fantastic Friday, Giving Sharks a Voice Day. May 15th is International Kangaroo Care Awareness Day, and is also the day that the Preakness is run. And May 16th is National Sea Monkey Day. Now, most importantly, May 18th is Dinosaur Day. Rawr! And those are your animal holidays for the week. And there you have it, folks. Another week of Raw Safari Zoo News. Remember, if you have any articles that you would like to share with me, please send them along. Message me at Raw Safari on Instagram or Facebook, or email them to me directly at rawsafaripod at gmail.com. Thank you to Liz Dunlevy, Michael Sebastian, and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross for sending me some articles this week. I'll be back on Tuesday with an episode from Cape May County Zoo featuring the one and only Silly Jilly. Who's that? Well, you'll have to listen to find out. And until then, remember, friends, Newsy Credits Backwards is Yes When Stiderk. The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.